Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. This is what I would say. These verses don't say that the pastor, the teacher should be living way above everybody else. They don't say that he should have yachts and, and Rolls Royces and all this, but it does say that his needs should be met. When I look at an ox treading the grain, that's nothing wow. I mean, he's just eating enough to live while he while he works. And so his needs are met. So again, it says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctors. He's got that right. Many pastors abuse their church's resources. Pastor Bill today teaches us what the Bible says about how the church should care for their pastor. Balance seems to be the key here. The church shouldn't muzzle the ox as he works, but the pastor shouldn't abuse God's people either. This balance can be tricky to obtain and requires much patience and love from both the church and from the pastor. Let's seek to honor God with our giving and our attitudes towards blessing our spiritual leaders. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Make sure then whatever you do investigate and whatever you do open yourself up to, that it doesn't pull you away. You remember that your main obligation is your children. And if there's any way to minister to them, if there's a way to make that your primary thing, if that means you're going to have a little less, that would be a better call. You know, some people have given their kids up to have a better car. Like, I'm not at home with my kids because this extra $500 let me drive a, a nicer car. What them kids, who's raising them? Who are they with? Who are they spending the best hours of their day with? It'd be better with you. And so I get it in the situations where it's not an option. But I'm saying when it is an option and just to live a little nicer and to have a couple more things, a couple more temporary things, you're missing out on an opportunity to pour into their lives. Don't miss that. Don't give that up for some stuff that perishes. Um, as you pour into your kids, you're going to see everything you poured into them uh, blossom right out of them. And, and there's this, you know, it's nothing like that. You know, I, I was blessed that when when we first had Harmony, Mika was working and Harmony was little. She was in a, a child care and we were both working. And I remember when, you know, you guys know our situation. Our son, Billy, is autistic. And that was the point at which we had somebody had to go home. We got a son with autism. He needs someone to be home to care for him. And that was at that point. Uh, my wife said, I'm going to go home and be with him. And so whatever that means for us financially, we lose our house. Um, you know, we're going to have to live off of your little bitty income or whatever. But that was the decision we made, that the decision was not a financial decision because on paper it never worked out. Uh, we just had agreed up front that we probably would lose the house. But, but you'll be home with him. And that was the goal. And we made that decision. We moved forward with it. Ended up working out to where we were able to keep those things and whatnot. But I remember just watching Harmony blossom under I call Harmony Little Mika that um, I feel like those years of her being at home with her she's just like Mika you know she's like that's like a when my wife is gone and Harmony's there it's like my wife is there she says the same stuff said it the same way they both shut down my jokes the same way you know they it's like a little bitty mirror and I'm like that didn't just happen you know she wasn't born there they were just around enough and poured into and so I just encourage the ladies as 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 it's possible, as much as you can, that you would do that. And I understand that there are single moms where you got to be breadwinner and do all that. So you got to work full time and do what you can. I get it. God gets it. Just just understand that, you know, while you're doing all these other things, don't lose sight of the fact that my primary obligation before God is important to them. And so uh, you may have to, you know, 
always consider that in every decision that I, I got to be able to pour into them. I got to have some time for them. I got to have some time to pray with them, to love on them, to share with them, to nurture them. I got to have time for that somehow. Um, don't lose out on that uh, for some stuff. And again, none of this is intended to bring condemnation on someone who has no other option, because I understand that everybody's situation is different. But I am speaking to those that have options and they're like, well, I'm opting for some stuff. And some things because I've seen parents, moms and dads who have completely handed their kids off to have a lot of stuff. Dad's taking job never available. He's never available for the kids. And mom's always gone. They got money, but the kids are not being raised by either one of them in the church. Shouldn't be like that. Amen. And so moving on, he says, you younger women, I want you guys to marry, have bear children, raise them up. Um, you know, manage your household and don't give opportunity for the enemy, for the adversary to speak reproachfully. Verse 15 now, for some, has, for some have already turned aside after Satan. And again, he's speaking about in their fellowship and their gatherings. Hey, there's some that they've already gotten themselves way out there. They've already, they're out there living wild, living crazy, whatever. Would have been better for them to move in this direction. Because there's some that have already turned aside after Satan. Then it says in verse 16, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. And do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. Once again, if within your family, um, you know, for me, if, if uh, you know, my mom has passed away. But if it were my mom or my wife's mom, if something happened to her husband, God says, you guys relieve. You take care of her. And don't let it be a burden on the church. You guys be the ones to step up and take care of that. Now we switch gears in verse 17 and we speak about the elders. Those are the pastors, those that are overseeing the church and those that are teaching and ministering in that way. And so verse 17 says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word in the word and doctrine. And so these are verses where, you know, I think everybody is aware of the abuses that happen uh, within the church where, you know, pastors and those that they can overindulge in church resource. They can take more than what's due them, more than what makes sense. But it always makes these kind of verses weird for me to teach. Uh, but I'm going to just teach it because it's the word and let the chip fall where they may. I know I'm not that. And, you know, it says that the elders who rule well, those that are that their job, they're ministering the word to you. It says, let them be counted worthy of, of double honor. And you look up the word honor there and it, it speaks is twofold. It speaks in one sense of there's a, a value or respect put upon them, but also it's speaking of uh, monetary valuables. At one point, Paul said, hey, is it a big deal if I share with you guys in spiritual things, if you share with me of your of your financial, your practical things? He said that that's the that's the way that God has lined this thing up. So it is the case that pastors are to be taken care of by the churches in which they serve. He goes on to say in verse 18, for the scripture says, and this is his illustration, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads the grain and the laborer is worthy of his wages. And so the first quotation, you don't muzzle the ox while it treads the grain is a quotation from Deuteronomy 25 verse 4. And when an ox is treading the field so you can sow into it and, and have crops later on, God says, don't put a muzzle on them and be hungry. And he want to bend down and eat some while he goes. You don't muzzle him while he treads the grain. You let him eat while he goes. His needs are being met while he's serving you. Um, that was the first kind of picture and illustration for this culture. That was an agricultural culture. They would get it. So you don't, you know, you don't, you don't muzzle the ox while it treads the grain. So that's one analogy. Then in the latter part of the verse, he says the laborer 
is worthy of his wages. That's a quotation from Luke 10, verse 7. And you can write that down in your notes, but in Luke 10, 7, Jesus was sending the disciples around. He says, when you guys go into a town or a village, you guys go. And if they receive you into their household that you serve there, your blessing will be upon that house. And it says, and remain, he says, in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give you for the labor is worthy of its wages. And it says, do not go from house to house. So as they were going from town to town serving, God says, when you come into a home, let them take care of you. They're, they're meeting your needs. And so this is what I would say. These verses don't say that the pastor, the teacher should be living way above everybody else. It don't say that he should have yachts and, and Rolls Royces and all this. But it does say that his needs should be met. When I look at an ox treading the grain, that's nothing. Wow. I mean, he's just eating enough to live while he while he works. And so his needs are met. So, again, it says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So as a church, um, again, I, I am a pastor. I have a pastor. Um, I, I serve as a pastor, but I've also been underneath the pastor. It is the church's responsibility to care for their overseer, their pastor. And I'm ashamed of how that's abused, um, but I won't not teach it because people have abused it. So everybody here knows me. Y'all, most of you guys have been to my home. You know what I drive and we ain't living large off of off of the church's resources. But these are God's instructions, how God would have it to go. And as the church grows and expands, there'll be more pastors. And the church's job is to free those men up so that they can that their one focus can be whatever it is that they're ministering to. And so um, that's God's instruction there. Verse 19. Uh, again, further instruction on dealing with elders. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. And so a man is serving as an elder. We want to be careful that we don't, you know, hear some accusation and just I heard such and did this. And you don't receive an accusation against the elder unless there's two or three witnesses. I shared with you guys a few weeks ago about how um, there was a time when I was doing high school and somebody thought they had saw me in a black Escalade uh, smoking a blunt. And they were they were convinced that it was me. They were so convinced that it was me that they came in on that. It happened over the weekend. They came in to tell. And I got called in and they said, hey, um, you know, this is a girl and her mother swore that they saw me in Compton. It was me. They were sure it was me. Black Escalade smoking a blunt. I said, man, God's grace upon my life. That weekend I was up at a youth camp and there was 300 plus kids and adults at this youth camp. They can vouch for the fact that I, I was there all weekend, so it couldn't have been me. And so when, they, when, it, when it was verified that it couldn't have been me, they never even said sorry. They were like, well, it looked just like you. There's a lot of black dudes with bald heads around this place. You know, I, I wish I had a black Escalade, okay? It wasn't me. But this is my thing. In that instance, right, that could have ruined my life. Um, if those accusations had been received, I would have been fired that day. Uh, that would have been it. You can no longer serve here as pastor. It's a wrap. But it wasn't even true. And so we don't want to be quick to receive those sort of accusations against men that serve in that way, because how easy, how cheap is it for something to be hurled out like that? I used to work at a, a placement facility for teenage girls and age, girls ages 12 to 19, uh, a place Hollywood called a Viva Center. And I'll never forget. Now, there were guys that came in there that did inappropriate things and they were rightly fired and even charges put against them for, you know, just things that they had said or done concerning these young ladies who've already been violated and abused in the world. Um, but there was one case where there was an older guy and accusation, a very harsh accusation was made against him. And, you know, it, they, the guy went to jail. His wife left him. Um, I mean, his life was completely turned upside down. 
And about four months later, the girl that said it all uh, said that she had made it all up because she wanted attention. And I was just like, man. And I remember I remember thinking at that point, I'm going to quit this job because if all it takes now we got girls, they're on meds. They come in from the Department of Mental Health, Department of Children and Family Services, Department of Probation. They come in from all these places. They got all these issues and challenges. All it takes is for one girl to say there was no proof, no physical evidence and nothing. And this dude been arrested. He got a case. He got a file and his wife is gone and he ain't had a job. And then four months later, she said, I made it all up. I was like, man, that's that's heavy. You know, that's a that dude's life has been ruined, you know, and and they weren't in a rush to go fix it for him either. You know, and so when I see things like that, I realize that, you know, when you see those that are serving, we just don't want to be quick to, you know, you hear something. I believe the best. I hope that's not true. You know, I heard that. I hope it's not true. Uh, You know, the truth will be revealed in time anyway, but. We don't want to be quick to receive any sort of accusation. I would say not even just against elders or past, just against even one another. Right. If somebody tell me some mess about you, I, I know you hope I'll believe the best first until I find out otherwise, you know, that, that we just wouldn't be quick to believe the worst thing about people. But in particular, that we wouldn't receive an accusation like that against an, an elder, except if it's from two or three witnesses now. But two or three people come and they all say, no, we was there. I mean, it was, we, it was really disappointing, but you know, Pastor, that was you with that beer in your hand. And today, they just put the cell phone on, take a picture of you. It's over, you know. Um, you know, it, but we want there to be, you know, wanted to be clear that that's what it went on. So, um, so we don't receive accusations. Verse twenty: Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. Again, the context here is speaking of elders. If an elder messes up, um, you ever seen a pastor fall? They get brought before everybody. Why? Because they've been before everybody. They've been speaking before everybody. They need to apologize before everybody. Um, and so you bring them before everybody, it says that all may fear. Um, that, you know, you don't just slide out the back door. Um, when you serve in public and you mess up in public, you got to deal with it in public. And so I've seen friends, brothers deal with that. And it's a, it's a, it's a painful thing. It's part of the process of uh, repentance and healing. Typically, the church I came from, if a pastor messed up, they wouldn't, you know, in a large church service, there are people that are visiting for the first time. You wouldn't you wouldn't want to do that Sunday morning and just bring that heaviness upon everybody. But typically, if a guy served in, in that way, he would be brought before all the leadership, all those that he served with. And they would deal with it in that way, um, which I agree with. I don't know that um, I've seen it where they bring someone on a Sunday morning before the whole church. And it's like, man, what about that woman that's just visiting somebody? I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to get my friend to come to church. I want to receive the Lord and I bring him today. And then the guys up there saying how he messed up. I was like, is, I don't know if that's the best thing. I don't know if that's the best call, you know, for the overarching, the work of the church. You know, I think it's probably good enough to be brought before all the leadership and those that he served over and with and that it'd he, he, be dealt with like that. But he said, you deal with them in the presence of all that the rest may also fear. And again, I think that's also, you know, that makes more sense. Who Who's going to fear the, the other people serving when they see, you know, what's happening with you that they would be, everybody would be brought into check. You just be kind of check yourself about what you're doing. And so moving on, verse 21, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. And so it's important for those that oversee and serve that they don't have partiality, Um, that they're not only willing to serve certain people. Got my favorite group, Um, this group over here. You know, there's some churches where. If you sign a covenant agreement to give a certain amount and you keep that covenant, you get to sit in a special area. 
it's impossible that that's that's partiality. That's saying like, well, I'm gonna treat you better because you give more. What about the person that's broke that give as much as they can give? Um, that can't give like they can give. That now that's partiality. Now I'm, I'm giving. I'm more available. There are churches where there are people that the church, the pastor is available to those that give. Uh, if you give a lot, I got time for you. You don't give a lot, you got to just make your way. Y'all don't have time right now. Can't, I can't see. You can't. You can't get a call through. Uh, you can't get a, a meeting set up. Um, and so all those things that God said, that's not right. Uh, there's to be no partiality uh, in terms of us as we we minister and we serve together. Uh, we're to be fair in how we deal with one another, how we treat each other. And so because let it be done without prejudice, without any kind of um, without any kind of partiality or prejudice in that way. Then he says in verse 22, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure um, that a pastor is not to be quick to lay hands on people to raise up for leadership. Take your time, figure out who they are, where they come from, what, what, what's their background. You know, just just don't be in a rush to lay your hands on them because it's real hard to, to take your hands off. Um, and when you lay hands on someone, you it's your response that you brought them before everybody. Paul said, Timothy, take your time. You need discernment. You need to pray. Don't be hasty about laying hands on people. When he says don't partake in other people's sins, right? If I lay hands on you and you ain't right, I'm now partaking in what you're doing. I've, I've aligned myself with you. And so don't, don't take part in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Verse 23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent infirmities. So a lot of people love to use this. Hey, Paul told Timothy to turn up. I'm going to turn up too, you know. Um, well, <laughs> We'll break it down for you real good, right? It says Timothy had some often infirmities. It's important to note that Paul didn't claim his healing. Paul didn't pronounce him healed. Paul didn't say, you know, you know, he had often infirmities. He had some kind of sickness that would come, uh, probably some dietary related thing that would often afflict him. It was said that the back here, it was, it was safer to drink the wine than to drink the water in some areas. And so Paul told him, have a, and I want you to read it carefully so nobody is misinterpreting this. He says, use a little, everybody say little. Use a little wine for your stomach, for your often infirmities. Um, and so the idea was he was using wine for his medicinal purpose. He didn't say, have a bottle. He didn't say, get faded. He didn't say, get out of your mind with it. He said, have a little wine for your stomach's sake because of your frequent infirmities. And so um, you know, a, a few weeks back, everybody was sick and, um, I came down with it and I told my wife, I was feeling bad. I said, I gotta, I gotta get some, I'm going, I'm going to got NyQuil extra strength. And I, I did, I went home and I poured that thing and I drank it and I had the most vivid, wicked dreams. It was bad. I woke up and I said, man, throw that bottle away. <laughs> Harmony was, I said, don't let her drink that. I don't know what she'll see. I was seeing strange things and it was, it was weird. I said, I, you know, I've been drinking years, but I said, man, that's what it used to be like when I used to get, I used to get drunk. And then I wake up and my dream was so vivid. They were so vivid. It was like I was there. Um, and I said, man, that's, that's not good. I'm not doing that again. That's the extra strength night cool. ain't the business. I'm going back to Theraflu, you know, so. You know, we just need to be careful with those things, you know, that that um, I guess it's important to know, too, that Timothy obviously was abstaining from drinking wine at all. That Paul had to tell him, hey, have a little. Well, I don't got to tell you to have a little if you already have a little. Paul's telling him to have a little because he has none. 
just want to throw that out there. So, and he was going to have it for medicinal purposes. Uh, last, uh, last two verses, 24 and 25. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them the judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident and those who are otherwise cannot be hidden. I believe this goes back to what he was talking to Timothy about earlier, being careful about who you lay hands on, who you raise up around. He says, look, some people's sins are are clearly evident, preceding them the judgment. I mean, there's some sins that you just see. and You already know. Man, I, I know that person. Wow. I know they got a bad mouth. I know that person angry. I know that person's doing whatever. It's just clearly evident. He said, but some people, Timothy, this is not so clear. It's not so on the surface. Everybody knows some people that. You thought was one way and then you found out you you did that, man, you know, just blown away at what was happening under the surface. So Paul said, Timothy, hey, some people's sins are clearly seen. You know, you know, don't take any investigation to see what's going on. Other people, though, he says, hey, it's 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 under the surface. And so you want to be patient and you want to see God and you want to have discernment as you, you know, orchestrate things in the church as you raise up leaders and people around you. Just take some time. Pray. And um, I'm sure we've all have known situations where you were shocked. You know, um, I've been wrong in both ways. There are times where I think something negative and find out that I was wrong, judged wrongly. There are times where I, you know, I think positive and I'm, I judge wrongly. And so how do you, you know, as you oversee things, how do you not mess up that way? You, you, you don't be hasty. You don't be in a rush. You pray. Take your time. Because some things over time just reveal themselves. You know, they, they, they'll show themselves over time. So as we wrap this up and we get ready to close, just a, a few things in closing. One, a reminder from the early two verses that we want to deal with each other like family. And so we want to be respectful to the older men, the older women like mothers, the younger men like brothers, and the younger women like sisters with all purity. That we would, uh, we'd, be, we'd be blessed to be part of the family of God and we treat each other like true family. Um, second, there are those in our families that are in need that we would, as the believers in our family, we'd be the first ones to sign up to take care of those needs, recognizing that the, the, the church does minister to people in benevolence and help people out that have need. Um, but there's also a criteria for who that is that the church isn't taking advantage of. Um, third, that it is a, a biblical obligation. It's a biblical thing that a church would take care of those that serve in that way. Um, it's even though it's been handled in a very unbiblical way in a lot of places, it's a biblical thing. It's God's process. Um, it's how God would have things to be. Um, and third and, and last that as yeah, this church grows, you know, our heart is this. Um, as people come to these doors, our first thing is we want to see people come to know Christ in a real way. It all begins in a relationship with Christ. After you come to know Christ, we want to see people be discipled. What is discipleship? It's learning how to follow Christ. Now I'm saved. Now teach me how to walk with Christ. We want to see people discipled and learn how to walk with Jesus. Um, in that process of being discipled and walking with Jesus, there, there may be things that come up that, man, I need victory in this area. I've had a weakness here. I've been in bondage here. But those are areas where we want to walk people into spiritual health and victory. Then the, the third leg of it, and this is the goal for everybody here in time, we should all find a place in the body to be of service to other people. And so we're always praying and discerning as, um, as we walk with people through salvation and discipleship, like, man, what are your gifts? What does God want to do in you, with you, and through you for his glory and for the benefit of those around you? And so that's our vision here. We still we're praying for that. And so wherever you may be in those steps, you may be here and you need to give your life to the Lord. We want to we we pray for you, that you give your life to Christ, that today would be your day to do that. Um, you may be here and say, I'm saved, and, but I've never been discipled. I've never had someone walk me through that. 
um, we love to get that rolling with you. Um, and there, there are those that are in leadership, myself included, that would love to walk people through discipleship, just teaching you how to follow the Lord, taking some time one-on-one with you to walk with you through it. First Timothy 4, verse 7 through 10 says this, Training yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is a value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. We all know exercise is good for the body, but have you considered lately how your soul needs exercise too? We have a long race ahead of us before we get to go home to the Father, and we need to be in shape for the journey. You've made a great first step by being here with us on a transforming word. Hearing the word of God transforms our lives. What's your next training step? Is it to spend some time in prayer or perhaps to go out and find a place to serve? Or maybe it is to take the step of giving. Whatever it is, embrace your soul training today. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. In this series, Pastor Bill Buffington has been making his way through the book of 1 Timothy, where we find many golden nuggets of wisdom for the journey. If your next step in training is to give, hop on over to calvaryinglewood.org to give online. Or you can download our app and give from there. Once again, that website is calvaryinglewood.org. Thank you for being a part of this ministry. We'll see you here next time as we journey together here on A Transforming Word.